So I made about $40,000 after a year of working at the title company. And once I made the $40,000, then I uh, had a goal. I had a plan. So I hired a mentor to teach me how to flip houses. I paid $5,000 to learn how to flip houses. Uh, So the wholesale was my nest egg that helped me get to a higher spectrum. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Oglesby and Scott Show. This podcast holds the belief that business and investing are team sports. We drop gems to help you turn your capital into generational legacy. We're sharing with you the best stories of successful African-American business owners and entrepreneurs. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop, presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. And now, here are your hosts, Miss Flippin' in Heels, Rashana Scott, and Mr. Todd Millionaire himself, Charles Oglesby. Charles Oglesby. This is the Millionaire Talk Show, also known as the Oglesby and Scott Show, also known as the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast. We got a lot of names. We're doing a lot of things. Things are changing, but it's good to be back in the saddle because we haven't done one of these in a while ever since we went to Atlanta and filmed all those in-person podcasts, which are coming back. We'll be back in Atlanta on the 23rd of September to film maybe four, maybe six more of these podcasts because the in-person experience takes to the next level. But Zoom is also a very quality way to get you guys some podcasts and some good content. You guys are definitely in for a treat. Um, This young lady uh, has done over 200 real estate transactions. She has over a million dollars in equity in her rental portfolio. She recently moved from Dallas to Florida. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, she just also is a Toro host. So we're going to be talking about that too, because uh, I mean, that's kind of the hot thing right now. Maybe she has some tips and tricks for you guys to help you guys do Toro a little bit better or get started in Toro if you are on the sidelines. But we have none other than Ashley Black. She uh, is on Instagram as, I want to say, Ashley Buys Houses. Yes, Ashley Buys Houses. Yeah, and you guys are in it for a treat. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So can you tell people a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. Yes. Uh, I'm Ashley Black. I am a single mother. Uh, I have one daughter and I am in the real estate industry. So I wholesale, I fix and flip. I have a rental portfolio and I also lend. So small loans, maybe about 50000 and below, usually to my partners that I know that I've built a relationship with. So it's not on a large spectrum. It's on a smaller spectrum. So if they may need money to finish a rehab, complete a rehab, um, do a sub two deal, it's usually like a second lien position. Uh, I've been in real estate full time for four years and I started out working at a title company to gain information on the back end, uh, which I feel is most important, you know, uh, knowing different types of deals to close uh, going in definitely has helped in uh, me achieving a lot of my goals yeah. uh, because I target a lot of niche niche deals, people that are um, behind on taxes, may have liens, judgments, pre-foreclosures, uh, airship affidavits, they didn't probate the will within a certain time frame. So I deal with a lot of niche transactions. That is cool. And it speaks to uh, just knowing that there's no such thing as wasted experience. Um, I'm curious, how long did you work in the title company? So I worked at the title company for two years before I branched out on my own. And mm-hmm. while at the title company, I built a network. I had a plan. So I built a network and I actually wholesaled while I was at the title company a year after I was at the title wow. company. 200 <laughs> deals, 200 closings in two years. Yeah. Wow. So what was life like growing up? We always ask people that question. So life growing up really was good for me. I, I didn't have a, a, a hard life. Uh, as a child. Um, my life didn't become hard until I actually grew up and left the nest because I'm a teen uh, parent. I was a teen mother. mother. Um, so I had a great childhood. Parents are both, uh, you know, they graduated, they have their master's degree, graduated from college. 
Uh, so, you know, they're a median financial, median range as far as financials. So uh, I had it really uh, good, um, but I didn't hit a lot of roadblocks until I graduated from high school. And so <laughs> you kind of had to get on the grind, it sounds like. Yes. So I was, I was pregnant. I got pregnant at 17. I had my daughter at 18 and I uh, went to college before I had my daughter and then I dropped out of college. So I didn't finish my degree, uh, my master's, bachelor's degree. I have associates, but I was unable to complete my bachelor's degree. So I left home, uh, excuse me, I left college and went back home. So I went to Grambling State University and then... I dropped out of college, came back home, raised my daughter, and I kind of was on my own. So it was a real bit of a struggle, uh, but I, I made it. I made it. So. Um, I don't know if your headphones are actually plugged in because I'm getting a little bit of feedback. So your microphone might not actually be plugged in. If you go into Zoom at the in the bottom and you click that little arrow, it's going to show you the speaker and the microphone that you're using. Um, it's right next to the microphone. There's a little up. Yeah, arrow. I see it. I have. Uh, how about now? That's way better. Okay. <laughs> That's I'm what it sorry sounded like that. when we first started talking. Okay. Did you hear everything I said? I did. Okay. I okay. did. I just kept hearing a little bit of feedback. So sometimes like if, if people don't have headphones, I'll hear myself through their microphone, through their speakers. It like does uh, this reverb. It's like thing. an echo. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. So quality, sound quality is really Maybe important. Better. All right. We're good. All right. Cool. So um, where are we in your story? When did you start to kind of pick up some traction and start seeing some success? So I started picking up traction, I would say a year in at the title company. Um, once I started working at the title company, I did a lot of driving for dollars in the in the area, in the neighborhood. So I was in a very uh, low income neighborhood. So on my breaks, on my lunches, I would drive for dollars. I would jot down a lot of addresses, uh, both breaks and lunches, and I would actually call those homeowners and see if they were interested in selling their houses. So I really target houses that may be dilapidated. There's high grass, you know, some some idea that they may be interested in selling their property. So I made about forty thousand dollars after a year of working at the title company. And once I made the forty forty thousand dollars, then I uh, had a goal. I had a plan. So I hired a mentor to teach me how to flip houses. I paid $5,000 to learn how to flip houses. Uh, so the wholesale was my nest egg that helped me get to a higher spectrum and um, helped me gain a lot of uh, skills, more skills. And so uh, the, a year later, after working at the title company, hiring a mentor and having a nest egg in my bank of safety, you know, nest egg in my bank account, then I left that title company. But I still closed at that title company because I left on good terms. And I actually still close to that title company with that title company now. That's cool. So I maintained a really, really good relationship. So you're wholesaling in the beginning. Yes. And, and then just, I started flipping. And then you started flipping. What What's the difference in profit from a wholesale? How much are you making on your wholesale deals? And how much are you making on your flips? So starting out, I wasn't making a lot. Of course, once you gain your skills your, and you perfect your skills, you get your spreads get better, right? You're, you're working on your craft every day because you're full time. So your spreads get better. So back then, my spreads were maybe like 5,000, 7,000. Uh, now my spreads are... Uh, 10,000 at the minimum is what I shoot for. Um, the highest transaction on my spreads has been 30,000, but at the same time, I buy and hold as well. So if I were to sell those properties, it could, like the deal I just closed a couple of days ago, it could have been over a hundred thousand dollar spread on my wholesale deal. But I decided to keep the property because I'm actually going to move in a property since I just moved. So it was a six figure wholesale deal. Could have been a wow. six figure wholesale deal, but I have over two hundred thousand dollars in equity. Wow. I like that. It sounds like you're still getting your deals by going direct to the seller. Yes. So I mainly get most of my deals direct to the seller, but I still buy from wholesalers as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just direct to the seller. The spreads are just way bigger. So I actually market, you know, I, I, I have a team of employees that cold call. Uh, I have an acquisitions manager. I have a marketing manager. So I have a whole team that actually markets to different homeowners. And I also buy from other wholesalers as well. Yeah. 
Why is it that going direct to a seller gives you a bigger spread? It gives you a bigger spread because you're not factoring in the wholesaler's assignment fee. Yeah. Um, because if they get like that deal that I got, if they get a hot deal like that, they're going to factor in their spread. They're still going to sell it to you at the formula. Most of the wholesalers are still going to sell the property to you for the going formula, which could be 70 to 80% of ARV minus repairs, you know, minus their assignment fee. And that's typically what they're going to sell the property to, to you for. Going direct to the seller, you have all of that spread. Mm-hmm. So you have much more equity. Now you do have more, you have costs for marketing dollars, but the deal that I got a couple of days ago, I didn't spend any marketing dollars. You know, I, it was high grass. I noticed that the, there may be a, you know, it was a distressed house and I knocked on the door. So it was something as simple as that. So, wow. but it's also consists of facing your fears as well. Cause some people are fearful, fearful of knocking on the door and, but that will lose your chance of going direct to the seller and a potential mm-hmm. deal, you know, that's in your backyard because it was in my backyard. So, yeah. So you mostly just do real estate right where you are in your general area. I think so I sense. actually market in Dallas, Houston, and Florida. So I still, I'm in three markets right now. Well, yeah, three markets right now, Dallas, Houston, and Florida. So I have a virtual team. So I'm all virtual. So I work from home. I had an office a few years ago, but I let the office go. And uh, everybody is working from home and they're virtual. And I actually still work on my business, but I work in my business for a few hours as well a day, just because I like it. You know, I'm really good at acquisitions. So I I actually still do some of my acquisitions. So what does the conversation sound like? I'm Joe, the homeowner. I got big grass. What are you what are you saying when you knock on my door or call me? So I approach the seller differently. I start off with repair you know, rapport, excuse me. I start off with rapport. So I don't knock on the door and say, hey, I noticed that you have high grass. I just say, hey, you know, my name is Ashley. Hey, how, how, how how's everything going? Uh, everything's going good, good. Okay, all right. Well, you know, I just, I'm in the area. I buy a few houses uh, that I'm looking to add to my rental portfolio. And I was just stopping by to see if you may know someone that may be interested in selling. And most of the houses that I I don't door knock for, you know, is my main marketing source. But if it happens to be a really hot deal and it's distressing, I'm in the area, I will. So I'll definitely it's targeted, basically, to say if I knock on that door, then it's a targeted lead. And I've already done the research. I already pulled up the property um, in PropStream because I use PropStream. And I also use the MLS since I have access to the MLS. I'll see if there's any liens, judgments, of course, title work experience, liens, judgments against the property, the owner, um, both people, right? Child support liens, um, abstract of judgments. Uh, and if it's a good and equity as well. And as long as it fits my criteria, my buying criteria, then I would knock on that door if it's within reason of my area, if it's within the same vicinity of me. I like that you didn't say, are you interested in selling your house? Do you know anybody who's interested in selling their house? <laughs> I like how you caught that. Yeah. <laughs> I specifically asked them if they know. It's targeted, right? But I asked them if they know. Yeah. Because they might get kind of offended. Like, no, nah, I'm not trying to sell my house. Yes. Like, you know what? Maybe I consider it. Like, I don't know. You didn't really push me. So. Yes. And also to piggyback off of that, um, I also say, is there anything I can help you with? You know, I come in offering different options. Is there anything I can help you with? Um provide you with all your options because I provide them with all their options up front. I don't just come mm-hmm. off the gate and say, hey, I want to buy your house. You know, let's look at your options and see what's best for you. Have you tried to list it? Do you want to list it on the MLS? No, I don't want to list it in on the MLS. I don't want my neighbors to know I'm selling my house. I don't want them to know I'm going through pre-foreclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want people coming in and my out of my house. Okay. All right. Well, you know, why not rent it out? Uh, I'm not looking to rent the house. Oh, okay. All right. So what is your main goal? What would you like, you know, what solution would you like to 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 come from this? I want to sell. I want to sell right now. And then I go over. Yeah. Then I move forward. Yeah. I like it. With closing Um, the deal. All right. So in terms of the actual offer, how do you determine what to offer? Because, you know, you might be able to get a better deal if you lowball them. Like, how do you determine what you want to give them on that number? So I feed off of the seller's energy a whole lot. So I ask them if they know how much they the property is worth you know do you have an idea what you think the property may be worth i start off with that question 
No, mm. I have no idea. I, I'm not sure. Um, how much do you need to move? Mm. How much do you need to move? Uh, maybe $10,000. Okay. All right. So if I give you $10,000, um, would this be something that you would be ready to move forward with today? And, you know, they'll say yes or no. And if that $10,000 fits my criteria, I won't give a nominal figure on the total price, but I'll say, hey, you know, if I give you $10,000, you net $10,000, would that be something that you're interested in? Can you see yourself moving forward with that? Mm -hmm. And then they may say, yeah, yeah, $10,000. Mind you, they gave me their number. So Mm -hmm. I'm structuring the deal off of their needs. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't fit my Mm -hmm. criteria, then I start off negotiating from there. But I typically don't ever give my number up front. Um, I I see what they need. It's kind of like whoever, whoever, gives their number first loses yes like if you go out there like oh, i'll give you 80 grand for this house they probably might have only wanted like 50 exactly also if you ask them how much money they need to move and they some people don't know i'm not sure i don't know how much moving costs would be then i just start throwing numbers out there um maybe five thousand maybe ten thousand maybe fifteen thousand um yeah maybe about fifteen thousand and then, um, you know, we go we go from there. We structure the deal f- according to their needs. Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business Webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Hey ladies, this is Rashana Scott. And are you looking for a community of women real estate investors? If so, I want to take a quick second to share with you Infinity Membership. Sorry, fellas, but Infinity Membership is a women's only online community for newbie and experienced investors. Come let your hair down and join a non-judgment zone sisterhood where all of your questions about investing in real estate get answered. This is also an opportunity to learn from the best of the best. Other seasoned and successful women in the industry share their success tips often. Our live group sessions are twice a month and we support each other daily within our private Facebook group. Our sessions range from driving for dollars to working with contractors to out-of-state investing, raising private capital, marketing your deals, and so much more. Does this sound like something that you've been looking for? Well, we would love to have you. For more information, visit us at bit.ly forward slash infinity membership. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash infinity membership. So you look at their needs and then you go back and look at how much they owe on the property. Well, for are you are you speaking in terms of the targeted leads? In, for, in, in, in regards to the targeted leads, I already know what the structure is. Now, if even before I call them, I'm analyzing the deal before I even call them. So I already know exactly how much spread I can have. And I have an idea before I even call them what my maximum offer is, my maximum yeah. allowable offer, the most I can offer them. And, you know, my bottom, you know, my bottom dollar. So I already know, have my numbers in head before I speak with them. How do you find out that number? How do you find out how much they owe? How do you find out like what that spread could potentially be? Because sometimes you'll just see like the actual loan. You won't see what they paid it down to. Correct. That's a really good question. So what I do is I go on PropStream and PropStream typically has an idea of what their mortgage is. It's a really, really good tool um, because you can go on PropStream, you can pull the property up, you can go under more mortgage information and it tells you the estimated balance right Mm. but you're right you don't know exactly how much that is because if they're in pre-foreclosure and it's already been submitted to attorney then there's prepaid you know interest that's on top of that there's also attorney fees there's just so much so many fees so you actually won't know until you get that title work but Mm. that's why you start low you know your your offer is low but if it's enough, enough equity in it then you can structure your deal and mm. go up a little more at the closing table. You can increase really? your offer a little bit more at the closing table as long as it doesn't break the deal, right? As long as it's not a deal breaker. That's interesting because I always thought you 
you had to know it for sure before you could even submit the offer. But you're saying you can't really know. You can only kind of guess. And then based off of that number, I mean, maybe you could ask them for their last mortgage statement or something like that. But yeah, you ask them, you can ask them for their last mortgage statement. It just kind of depends. My, I kind of work backwards. My main thing I want to do is because if you ask them for their last mortgage statement, sometimes they don't have it. She did not have it. If they can have it before your appointment, then yes. But if you're on the spot and you're trying to lock that deal up right now, you lock the deal up and you restructure it later if it doesn't fit according to your buying criteria. Because the main goal is to get the property under contract. Then you can do your due diligence on exactly how much they owe later. But the main mm. goal is to get this contract signed. Mm. Um, initially, if they have, if, if it's a phone call and you're going on the appointment, then I would say, hey, you know, if you could just have your most recent bank statement, your mortgage statement available um, so that our uh, that our meeting can go through seamless. It can be a seamless meeting. And so they'll have all their information. I'll have all my documents. I'll have my authorization to release information so that I can speak to the mortgage company and actually get the payoff before it gets to the title company because the title company moves in pre-foreclosures. You have to move really, really fast. So I have all my documents prepared up front. Even if I'm door knocking, it's in the car, it's in the folder, it's ready to go. So I don't have to have any delays in the process. Um, the contract that you're using, is this like this? Is it like a in California, they call it a car firm, car form, a California Association of Realtors form, like a purchase and sell agreement. What kind of a document are you using to lock that that property up? So I use a um, two page agreement just because I, it's universal. I can use it in any state and it's standard in any state. So I don't use in Texas. We use the Texas, you know, the trick contract. And it's like nine, 10 pages long. Yeah. It's can be, it can be very intimidating when a seller right. is looking, if they're the analytical seller, they want to know all what all the verbiage on that contract means. Mm-hmm. So we've prepared a contract that is very standard. That's two pages. It's very, um, it's condensed, you know, it's yeah. very condensed and it's easy to read. So we go through that and we haven't had any issues. I typically uh, give the contract to the seller and it's so easy to read. I let them review it. Hey, you know, here's a contract you can agreement. I say agreement. Here's an agreement. You can review it. If you have any questions, let me know. Then I'll be prepared to answer any questions that they have versus just going through all of the information on the contract. I give them their space and let them review it. Why agreement and not contract? Because contract is it's like tomato, tomato, right? But it's like contract, it really, in, it scares them sometimes when you use the word contract. Yeah. It's completely the same, you know, but yeah. just saying agreement, just it, it blocks that hesitation from you, you get from them signing that, that contract. Yeah. And it's just that word that will probably get you more contracts signed. Yeah. I know usually if you buy something through a wholesaler, they make you put up earnest money. When you're buying it direct to the seller, any earnest money involved, there's just documents. Yeah, when you're, it, your, your earnest money can be anywhere from 3000 to 5000 when you are buying from a wholesaler and it's non-refundable. So you don't have all the time to do your due diligence. You basically have to be a skilled investor typically when you're buying from a wholesaler. You have to know your numbers. You have to be familiar with the market because if someone else is skilled and they're familiar with their market and they produce, you know, all the documents, the contract, the earnest money, they're getting that deal first. Mm-hmm. The slow feet doesn't eat. <laughs> I like that slogan. But yeah, so wholesalers is usually going to go with whoever can put up the earnest money first. When you're direct with the seller, you can put up as little as a dollar, ten dollars, you know, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, according to whatever you want to do, as long as you put up something in earnest money, because it has to be binding. If you don't put up any earnest money, it won't be a binding contract. That's be consideration there, right? Right, right. Correct. All right. So for those who don't know, contract law says there has to be an, an offer and acceptance and consideration. And so the money is the consideration. The offer is you saying, hey, I want to buy your house for this much. Them accepting that offer, you guys signing it on the paper. Consideration is that earnest money. Um, so the cool thing about going direct to sellers, you can get kind of creative. Have you done anything like that? Have you put together any maybe seller finance deals, subject to deals, anything cool like that? I have not. Um, typically, most of the deals I get have a lot of equity. And 
when they have a lot of equity, they're either most of them are free and clear or they have a very low mortgage balance. But also if they have a mortgage balance and say it's a pre foreclosure list, they may be so far behind that it probably just doesn't make sense. Like I probably would have had to put up 50 grand to purchase this property because she owed everyone. She owed HOA <laughs> fees. <laughs> she owed the mortgage company. She owned in Florida. I'm just realizing in Florida, they also collect utilities. So if she's behind on any utilities, they're pulling that on the title work and you have to pay it before you can close and get clear title. So she she had a lot. She had a lot of uh, fees. that. So when you're doing a subject to deal, you have to take care of all of those fees in addition to advancing the seller, whatever money they want to walk away with the $10,000 plus all the closing costs. So it can work, um, but I just haven't had to come across those type of deals because they have just so much equity in them. What would you say was your favorite wholesale deal? My favorite wholesale deal was, it was a transaction where the owner just wanted to completely walk away. Um, I think there was some type of illegal issues with you know, drug dealing and someone kicked his door in and he was fearful of his life. Uh, So I was able to come in, help him. He was so happy, so grateful. Um, And that was maybe like a 30K spread, but it was, it just happened like so fast. He, he didn't have any questions and he walked away with a lot of money too. Um, but that would, that would be my best one because it was no convincing, you know, there was not many objections. It was just like, Hey, yes. Call. Hey, Ashley. Yes. I want to sell my house. It's at one, two, three main street. You know, someone kicked my door in, I'm moving, I'm getting out of Texas. <laughs> can you, can you come? So, uh, yeah, it was that type. I, that was, that was my favorite one. What's a mistake that you made wholesaling and what did you learn from it? not protecting my interest on a transaction and protecting your interest on all deals consists of filing like a memorandum. So if you do so many deals, they're going to be, there's going to be times to where the day at the day of closing, the day before closing, the seller decides that they don't want to move forward with the property anymore. Right. So you're, you have a lot of anxiety, you're ready to close, you're planning on closing, planning on paying your acquisitions or whoever. And they just drop the ball. Hey, I don't want to close anymore. I, I want to sell to this person for ten, twenty thousand dollars more. And um, I didn't protect my interest on one of those deals, and it cost me that whole deal. Mm. It cost me, you know, about twenty thousand dollars in wholesale fee assignment fee. So that that was a that was a hard lesson that I had to learn. So now on most of my transactions, I file a memorandum. Mm. You file a memorandum and you uh, record it against the property. Yes. So the title company um, will either do it for me or I'll go to the records, you know, building to have it recorded. But most of the time I already have the document prepared. When I send the contract, I send the memorandum, but I wait till title work is actually clear because you don't want to just go file a memorandum on properties that can't even be closed anyway. Mm. So I wait till the title is clear and everything is good to go. Uh, I have my buyer in place or I have my financing in place or cash in place. And I know that I can actually close on this property and it's no, no hiccups and nothing preventing me from closing. Then I'll have that title company. I'll give them the green light on filing a memorandum and have it recorded. Have you ever had a situation where you got another contract, you filed your memorandum, and then they tried to walk out and you're like, no, nah, you can't walk out. Like, have you, ever, have you ever had to use that against somebody now that you know it? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and it helps you sleep at night. You know, yeah. you don't have to wake up and wonder, oh, is, is someone going to go behind my back? And Because when you blast to some of your buyers, some of those buyers are like really shady. They will go behind you, go direct to the seller and try to offer them more money and oh. tell the seller that you're wholesaling a property to them and they're the actual buyer. Hmm. So, yeah. So now I filed my memorandums and I just sleep at night. I know I'm going to get paid. It's a matter of when. Yeah, You got to cut those snakes off, too. Yeah. <laughs> so how long were you wholesaling before you started flipping? So it was about a year. OK. A year of wholesaling. Um, I built up that forty thousand dollars and I was comfortable with investing and flipping. And uh, now I kind of do all strategies, you know, all right. forms. What did your first flip look like? Okay, my first flip was a uh, flip that I did 
well, the first flip was with my mentor, right? So he Smart. made he based yeah he basically did most of uh, the work, and I learned from him. So I hired the mentor to learn how to flip before I actually branched out on my own to flip. And I was working in that house every day. I was doing a demo work. Um, I was involved with hiring some of the contractors. Um, questioning, interviewing the contractors before they go in your house because some of these contractors don't know, you know, they just want to get the job, but they're not actually skilled to get the job. So I learned a lot hiring a mentor and learning how to flip that house. And that actually was my first flip. And that one I made like maybe like 10, 15K, but it wasn't a matter of how much I made on that one. It was more so the knowledge that I gained from it. And after that one, then I ventured out and did my own flip. So this mentor, is that the same person you took the course from? So I hired a lot of mentors throughout my tenure <laughs> of real estate. So uh, no, the 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 first mentor was uh, to learn how to flip. And then my second mentor was to learn how to wholesale on a larger scale and actually run it as a business versus just doing a deal here, doing a deal, deal there, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I am full time. So I actually needed to provide for my family and actually have investments and be secure in my investments and actually build a portfolio that I can pass down to my daughter. So I, I wanted to be you know, serious. So yeah. I, I hired another mentor for that. Some of the most successful people that I know in this space and wholesaling and flipping have done what you've done. Um, because when you're outlining your whole strategy, you're like, I have this person, this person, this person. It reminded me a lot of Marquise Robinson. I don't know if you know him, Wealth Forever. He is crushing it in wholesaling. And he was like, yeah, I paid like 10 grand to this dude to do blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people are like, I'm not paying somebody $10,000 to spend, to teach me. But how much have you made off of that five $10,000 investment? Probably exactly. That is the key. And you know what it boils down to? It boils down to your mindset. I realized when I paid that $5,000 to learn how to flip, how much it gave me skills, but also knowledge to make, make more money. So I made $15,000 off that $5,000. And right. I've always been a big risk taker. I didn't, no one had to convince me to invest in myself because when you're hiring a mentor, you're investing in yourself. You want to make sure you hire the right mentor, of course, but you're investing in yourself. And I spend a lot of money on mentorship, education, and it has always helped me become a more skilled and professional real estate investor and um, and also improve my network as well. So I, I highly you know, believe in hiring mentors. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was scrolling your Instagram and um, you were talking about when you're doing a flip the inventory list. Now, what confuses me is since I don't really know too much about like the actual like rehab process, I just know the numbers. There's things I'll see on like a Home Depot Pro thing that I never even knew existed. I was like, I didn't know they knew that need, needed that. How did you get to the point to where you knew everything that should be on that inventory list? So I learned that working with my uh, mentor when we did our first flip, he actually would do a uh, prepare a scope of work. And the scope of work would consist of everything that needed to be done on the job. And once we created that scope of work, then, you know, we worked and broke it down into different sectors to see what inventory we needed in order to accomplish that goal. So I, I actually have now uh, a few contractors that been, has been working for me with me for a while. And I actually have a pro rewards account, like you mentioned at Home Depot. So they now actually go and purchase the inventory for me. But I know exactly how much is needed per square foot. I know how many gallons is needed to spray a house. If you try to go and purchase, you know, you, you get those big buckets of paint that's like five gallons, uh, a five gallon paint bucket. If you go get 20 gallons for a 1300 square foot house, then I know you are either running off with my inventory or you're just not as knowledgeable. Mm. Uh, and you definitely want to know how much inventory it takes to prepare to, to finish a house out because you can be overpaying in materials and that can cost you and you can be over budget and you could possibly lose money on the flip if you spend too much money on inventory. Yeah. So basically the answer is hire a mentor. <laughs> yeah. Hire a mentor. So when you did that deal where you made 15 grand, he made money off the, the split as well. Did you pay him a fee to even enter that project or he just said, I'll get my money on the back end? So the mentor, I paid a fee up front and then I took on the risk. Mm. So it wasn't a partnership. It was a partnership and it was a support partnership. 
So I already knew how to analyze the deal because I wholesale prior to going into flip. So I already knew it was a deal. And so I just didn't know the, the back end of what to look for, what the big ticket items are to look for in a house when you're going in a house and how to budget accordingly. And so that mentor taught me how to do that, but I took on all the risks. So if I lost money on that flip, then it was on me, but he gave me the skills and the knowledge. Do you still work with them today or was it kind of just like a one and done thing? It was just a one and done thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's just me. So all the houses I flip, I uh, acquired all the skills and learned. And now uh, from that, what I did was I started having my contractors break down things to me. So when he when he partnered with me and I learned how to flip on that deal, then I did my own deal. So I did my own flip, analyzed the deal, structured the deal. I hired my own contractors. I hired my own contractors by going to different jobs, driving in the neighborhood. If a house looked pretty and looked nice and a contractor was working on it, I would stop by that house, get their information, and have them come do a walkthrough on my house and give me a bid and get multiple bids. And if they were a really good contractor, I would have them explain things to me so that I can understand. So I'm paying them to work on my house, but I'm also in the house gaining knowledge. And that helps me to know what to look for in the next house that I buy and flip. When you're hiring in a contractor, what are things that you require from them before you actually hire them officially? Like licenses, corporate paperwork, what kind of, what are you looking for? So it depends on the different, uh, on the type of contractor, because in Texas, there's some trades that a license is not required. Um, Plumbing, of course, they have to have a license. So I look for a license and mainly I am usually getting referrals sometimes as well. If I'm not driving in the area, I'll go off for referrals and driving, driving, and pulling up on, you know, different contractors. But I look, I ask questions. So I look to see if they're skilled. So if they tell me that they're going, if I'm looking for a towel, for example, it depends on the trade. So if I'm looking for a towel guy and the towel guy uh, comes and he does a walkthrough, I'll just ask questions. And the questions I'll ask is, okay, so what type of, what type of tool will you use to perform this job? I know from my experience that if you're doing towel, you need a wet tile saw. Some people don't use a wet tile saw. They'll use a different type of tool. So I will ask questions about how they're going to perform the task. If they're painting, I ask them if they use tape, how they prep before they paint, if they use a sprayer, if they use a roller. I kind of interview them. It's an interview. Mm. Mm. And um, if they meet the criteria, because depending on how they perform the job depends on how the quality is. If they don't use, if they don't take the time to prep before they paint, the, the, the paint is not going to really look that well. Yeah. So you definitely want to interview your contractors before hiring them. I like that. I like that. Uh, what was your most successful flip? My most successful flip was the flip I did when I, um, when I branched out on my own. That flip, I made 50K, like I said, 50K net. And after that, I really didn't flip a lot. I I did a lot of flips, but it wasn't a whole lot. It maybe was four or five flips a year. I started adding to my portfolio and I started wholesaling a lot of properties. And, you know, then I paid myself, of course, as well. So that's kind of where I was at at that time. I I had to put I had to invest a lot of money in building my team. So. Flipping is more capital intensive than wholesaling is. Yes, yes. And you can still make good money flipping. You might not make as much, but you can do more deals because you're not, you don't have capital tied up in this one house that's taking you six months. You could have been done eight deals by then, if not before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That is, that is, that is very true. But the longest flip for me, I, I work fast. I, I am very impatient. It's a gift and a curse. So whenever I go into a property before I close, I set up all my trades so that they'll be ready to go in. I get my bids before I even close on the house. So they'll be ready to go in the house and actually like punch it out. So I typically shoot for two weeks on a a flip because unless it's a really, really, really big flip, which I don't do really big flips. I did this one big, um, I had one deal. It was a buy and hold though. And I broke everything down to the studs and that took like almost two months to complete, mm-hmm. but I got it at a really, really good deal. But most of my flips I'm, I'm in and out, I would say two months because once you get the property contracted from the buyer, it takes 30 days to typically close. And I usually take two weeks, no more than four weeks, but you're wow. right. Um, with the wholesale deals, you can 
you're going to make less, but it, if you have a lot of volume, you could surpass the person who's waiting to close their flip. Right, right. Um, yeah. So you GC your own deals. Yeah. Yes. And you got the knowledge to GC it from the flip dude. Yes. That is so smart because if you think about it, the GC fee alone is going to cost what you pay that dude. Sometimes they make more money than you once you flip the property and you look at your net. You like you always want to do your books on your pro- on your houses and see what exactly you're spending money on. A lot of the times the GCs make more money when, than you make on the flip net. Yeah, they know how so, much those homes are worth. Yeah, <laughs> and that's ex- and sometimes they'll ask you, oh, how much did you get this house for? You know, mm-hmm. uh, they pay attention to what type of car you're driving in, how many houses you have. They're very, they're, they question if you're an investor versus a homeowner. So yeah, they'll they'll try to nickel and dime you. <laughs> contractors are the worst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have had my share of contractors, yeah. They'll nickel and dime you, like if you, if you, if you, you know, make changes, of course you want to have minimum, that's why you want to interview them. Okay, if I change this, you know, if I say I want to paint two-tone, but I change it, if I say I want to paint one tone, but I change it to two-tone, is are you going to hit me across the head with that change? Or are you going to add a, you know, small fee if I keep you busy? So that's important as well. Mm-hmm. So to roll, you, you've been in Turo for how long? So Turo, I've been in for, it hasn't been that long. It's been maybe about six months I've been in Turo. So I got in Turo during the peak time. And now it is the slow season right now. Mm-hmm. Um across the board yeah Yeah, it's the slow it's the slow a lot of people are not talking about it but it's the slow season for Turo just like any any season right now so yeah Turo is is also the rental car cash flow is what I call it Mm -hmm. so you can make money cash flowing and driving exotic cars economy cars it just depends on what you know how you want to structure it but yeah I, I like Turo as well I have a few cars on Turo and uh now Turo, you definitely want to analyze your market because moving from Texas and moving to Florida, it's been a change in the bookings. It's way slower here in Florida than it was in Dallas. You might have to move those to Miami or something. Unless you're in Miami. Yeah. That's it's interesting because I was looking at your profile and I saw you had a Tesla and I have a Tesla. And then I saw you put like this thing that said like how you can get a Tesla for free. And so I watched it and I was like, that's why I got my Tesla for free. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Can you you break it down to the peeps? Yes. So, okay. So, so Turo, you're going to, to to drive your car for free. If you don't want to actually list the car on the platform, you just want to drive a car for free. What you'll do is you'll go get financing. Uh, Once you get that financing, you'll pick your car out. Uh, It can be economy cars. I kind of like economy cars because the spreads are better on economy cars. And uh, once you pick your economy car out, you'll list it on Turo. Once you list the car on Turo, the cash flow that you make, cash flow, of course, is after the uh, note has been paid, after insurance has been paid. Uh, So you use that cash flow to pay your car note for the car that's your daily driver. Mm -hmm. That's your luxury car. So you don't have to list that car that you drive that's your luxury car onto a row in order to drive it for free. Your cars that are listed that are economy cars can pay for that car. And that is how I drive my car for free. Yes. Um, How do you get multiple car loans? So in order to get multiple car loans, you have to apply for financing within a 30 day window before those inquiries hit your credit. And before that loan, not the inquiries, excuse me, before the actual loan hits your credit. Mm -hmm. So you can go within a 30 day window to apply to Bank of America, Navy Federal Credit Union, um, any other credit union. Uh, neighborhood credit union and once you get that financing secured then uh, you don't have to worry about it hitting once it hits your credit then they're going to look and see that you're de- they're going to check your debt to income so your debt to income is going to play a factor in you determining if you can get that loan so as long as you shop within a 30-day window for multiple cars you'll be successful and even though you've had success with Turo and you're paying your car with Turo you still think that rental properties are better than rental cars. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it depends it, on the market. It, it dep- I mean, 
in my opinion, I'm always going to say in my opinion, regardless of what market you're in, in my opinion, I feel like it's definitely better because of the appreciation yeah. that the house is just a pre it's insane how the houses appreciate. True. And even if you're cash flowing more on Turo, it's not going to equate to the appreciation that the house is going to make over time. Yeah, that's, true. that's just my opinion. That's true. Honestly, I always tell people like, because we own a, a pretty decent portfolio in Detroit and everything that we've owned is like five times what we paid for it now. It's crazy, so right? If, yeah. Even if tenants be wilding out, saying crazy <laughs> stuff, saying they're not paying because <laughs> of the pandemic, we still getting that appreciation. I told a tenant that too. I was like, I don't need your rent. You got appreciation, girl. Go on. And that's, that. all, that's all with mindset, right? You have the mindset to know that even if I'm losing money in rent right now, I'm still making money because it's still mm -hmm. appreciating whether you're going to pay or not, you know? Right. So, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I had a bad tenant. Like, like I say, there there's ups and downs with any business that you're going to be in, you know, and with the rental houses, I know so many people are against rental houses, but I am pro. I'm pro rental houses, pro building your rental portfolio up. I always think that we should be adding to our rental portfolio because we can eventually pass that down and pass it to our kids, you know, and it's running itself, really. Are you managing your properties yourself or do you have third party management? I was managing the properties myself, but now I just delegated to a property manager because all of my houses are in Dallas now mm. with the exception of this one I just bought so my rental portfolio is in Dallas so I just hired a property manager to manage those properties for me Got it. and, and I, I had to increase the rents too so oh. before so, before we get to the last few questions I'm curious a lot of people are moving to Dallas and you moved out of Dallas why <laughs> so I am a Dallas Texas native so I just wanted something different. Um, I wanted to change. I've always wanted to move to Florida. It's the sunshine state is beautiful here. The weather is nice here. And I was just ready for a change. I was already marketing in Florida before I moved here with my business. So it was it was a no brainer for me. So my daughter just enter, entered the ninth grade. So it was either when she starts high school or after high school. So yeah. I was like, let's go ahead and do it. I think the cool thing is since you have your own business and it's virtual, you can live wherever you want to live. Like you don't I, have to live in Dallas if you don't want to. A lot of people they're like, well, I'll move if I could get a job and they're stuck to staying where they have to stay because they have no choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the power of owning a virtual business is that you can literally live anywhere you want, you know, mm -hmm. and the business, virtual business and a good team. If you own properties in multiple states, have some good boots on the ground, have a good team that you can trust and rely on. And if you don't own rental properties and you have a virtual business, it's, it's still beneficial for you. Yeah. Oh, um, so you're technically a millionaire, right? You have a million dollars in equity. How many doors does that span across? So that spans across nine doors, right? So wow. I don't have a whole lot of doors, but I have a whole lot of equity per door. Like so that. it's just, you know, some people say, how many doors do you have? I really... I mean, I only care about how much equity I have, honestly, just in my opinion. So yeah, it's over a million in equity. That's a bar because there's a lot of folks out there with a very minority stake and a whole lot of doors talking about all the doors they own. And they still be talking about how much equity they got. Exactly. That's dope. Um, What is one Turo gym that you would leave the peeps before we head into the final few questions? One very important Turo gym is going to be do your market research before you buy the car. I mean, if it's a car that you like, I wouldn't recommend that just because you like the car and you want to put it on Turo and drive it for free, which could be possible. But if you like it, like say, say you like an Audi and you like Audis, Audis do not perform well on Turo, you know, so you will be stuck you know, driving that Audi. And if you have another car, you'll be paying multiple car notes and then you'll be bleeding. Yeah. So definitely do your market research before you purchase the car. And you can do that on tour. I think they have uh, a market research to show which cars are performing best and per your market. Basically, the answer is always Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> Teslas are really good performance. Man. But you know, what model do you have? I have a Model you know, 3. My, 
Model three. Model 3. I do too. Model 3s perform the best on Tesla. Yeah. Even yeah. the model, even better than the Model S. Yes. I heard yes. the ROI is way better for a 3 than an S. Yeah. So even that, like do your market research. So if you want a Tesla, narrow it down to the model. That's very important because if you get a Model Y, the Model Ys don't perform as best as the Model 3s. Because they look weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do look a bit weird. Yeah. I love, I love my Model 3. Yeah. I can't wait to see what they come up with next. I love the car. It reminds me it reminds me of like the iPhone. It's like pretty soon everyone's going to have one because it's just so cool. It's constantly being improved. It's sleek. It looks amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like the iPhone. Have you seen the Tesla, new Tesla truck they're coming out with? Or have they came the out cyber with The cyber truck? The cyber truck. The cyber truck? You know, I want to I want a pickup truck. It's kind of weird looking to me. It is. <laughs> But, like back to the future truck. <laughs> but it's still a Tesla, so it's like, ah, it's still a Tesla, so it's kind of cool, but it definitely looks like a weird truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks awesome. very weird. So dope conversation. We have four questions we ask every guest, every episode. And the first one is, who is somebody that you look up to and why? Somebody that I look up to is uh, my dad. And the reason why I look up to him is because he is very smart, he's very kind, and he has a strong work ethic. And that is where I got my work ethic from. My dad now has like three jobs, <laughs> you know, and he makes a lot of money with his main job. But he's, he's, he just has a very strong work ethic and he has a positive outlook on everything. Yeah. And he's my biggest role model. That's cool. Um, what is your favorite business or real estate book? My favorite business or real estate book, I would say, honestly, I haven't, I, I, I would say Rich Dad Poor Dad is my favorite real estate book, but I, I read a lot of books based off of just mindset, like mm -hmm. Think and Grow Rich, um, Atomic Habits, uh, because I believe you have to have a really good mindset before you can even invest in real estate or do anything in a higher mentors. So um, I would say Rich Dad, Poor Dad would be uh, my best real estate book, but Atomic oh. Habits is my best mindset book. What's your favorite podcast right now? My favorite podcast, I would say it's uh, Ronnie Brown. I don't know the name of the podcast, but Ronnie Brown is very big on mindset and I'm big on mindset. So she, she speaks a lot on mindset, habits and building your brand. And I really like her podcast because I haven't built my brand through the 10 years. So, yeah. So that's where you are now is building the brand out. Yes. You built the I'm business, at. now you got to build the brand. Yeah, you got to build the brand because I, I want to help more people and yeah. get into real estate and actually buy houses because a lot of people are scared of them. Mm -hmm. Well, the reels you've been putting out are helpful. That definitely helps you get that out. Um, what does wealth mean to you? Wealth to me means, um, I would say it means being financially secure and being able to pass on assets and having generational wealth to pass on to your family. To me, that's what wealth is and being happy. And the last question is, what sets apart successful entrepreneurs from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Being consistent. I like it. All right. So dope episode. We'll definitely have all her information in the show notes. Um, but where can people find you, follow you, or support what you have going on? They can follow me at Ashley Buys Houses on Instagram and Ashley Black on Facebook. Dope. All right. So I don't know what episode number this is. That's why I never really date them because I might get them wrong. But it feels good to be back on Zoom. We're going to get some more of these. I think we had a really good conversation. You guys are going to get a ton of value out of it. So, um, yeah, make sure you guys reach out to her, follow her, say what's up in the DMs. People like that stuff. They like to know that what they said had an impact on your life. So, um, if you if you got something that helped you in any way, make sure you reach out, tell us thanks, all that good stuff. We will have all the information for all of our products and courses inside of the show notes, as always. And this is another episode of the Ogilvy and Scott show or the Millionaire Talk Show or the Todd Kaplan Millionaire Podcast, whatever we decide to name this podcast next. But we are out. Thank you. What's going on, podcast listeners? This is your man, Donald, the voice, the official editor and podcast producer. And listen, I just had to come in and tell you that we appreciate your listenership. And I want to give you a special offer for listening to this podcast. If you have voiceover, podcast, or video editing needs, let's talk. You can go over to donaldthevoice.com forward slash contact, and I'll be happy to talk with you about what you need and how I can serve you. You want to sound good and look good so that people can feel good and do good as a result of listening or watching your content. And I'm here to help you 
you make that happen. So let's talk. Go over to DonaldTheVoice.com forward slash contact and we'll talk. Have a good rest of the day, evening, morning, whatever time it is. And I'll talk to you soon.